A special education teacher, an administrator, and a lawyer walk into a bar. And our conversations can get pretty lively. And now you'll join us while we talk all about special education and the public school system. I'm Robin Fabiano, a special education teacher and a building-based student services administrator. And I'm joined by Abby Hanscom, a district-level student services administrator, and Angela Smagula, a founding partner at Khan and Smagula, specializing in educational law. We've been working together across multiple districts since 2009 and have lots of opinions about special education. In this podcast, we hope to share information, lessons learned, interviews of VIPs, and bring some humor to an otherwise serious topic. But before we get started, three disclaimers. One, the views shared on this podcast are our own and don't represent the views of the district in which we work. Two, Everyone might want Khan and Smagula as their attorneys, but Angela's not giving legal advice during this podcast. Three, although there are federal laws governing special education, we work in Massachusetts, a state that has extra protections, so some of what we speak about may not apply in your state. So let's get started. Hi, Abby. Hi, Angela. Hello, Robin and Angela. Oh my God. Good I evening. knew it. I knew it. I knew you'd like that. <laughs> Just for you, Ange. Uh, wow. This is a stunning development. It's a big day. Big day. It's a big day. It's a big day. It's been forever, I feel like. It has. Although uh, people, I would like to say thank you to people for continuing to download old episodes in our absence. That is true. So thank you, people. That's true. But yeah, I've missed you guys and I've missed this. And, you know, even though I was lying on a beach on vacation, I was still thinking, oh, I wish I was podcasting with Abby and Angela. I mean, you can say that, but Abby and I were here and available to podcast. So whatever. <laughs> um, and I would put a shout out to Laura Gillis. She did a really um, great social media push on the episode that you guys did with her. And that um, was really thoughtful of her. Yeah, that was great. Um, so we're doing another movie reviewed today and I are going to have a third job as movie critics, especially movies that focus on people with disabilities. And that just means that there are more and more um, opportunities for actors with disabilities in, in Hollywood, because there are shows on Netflix now that I keep recommending for people. And I'm watching things online pop up um, of different movies and films. Yeah. It's all about like representation, right? And uh, what comes with representation, though, is that some of the movies are awesome, some are mediocre, some are terrible, right? And that's an interesting thing maybe we can talk about tonight. Yeah, and I so I previewed this a couple of episodes ago where I said, you know, if you haven't seen the movie Champions yet, go and see it. It's now streaming on Peacock. We get no kickback from Peacock, although I wouldn't mind it if we did. Um, I doubt it's still in movie theaters. But Champions um, stars Woody Harrelson, and it is about a... Um, professional basketball coach who gets into some trouble and for community service has to become a coach for a special Olympics basketball team. And um, of course it goes through all of the um, Hollywood storyline of learning life lessons through the team. And Abby, Angela, and I were talking about how it reminded us of other sports stories, such as like the Mighty Ducks and Hoosiers, where you have this like debunked coach who has to fight his way back 
and learn all of these life lessons through sports and sportsmanship and, and teamwork. Yeah. And it's, I know, Angela, you have opinions about this, but the reality is like a lot of sports movies are kind of hokey. It's kind of the the trope, right? That there's redemption through usually for the, the coach or some key person through um, the relationships with the team. I mean, Ted Lasso is kind of like the modern day version of that. Right. And, um, and in the disability rights world, we usually don't like that and say, don't mascot people with disabilities for the non-disabled person's benefit because that's gross and terrible and stop it. Right. Well, first of all, I think I did a little background research on the movie, which I do for like every movie and TV show I watch. I, I like, I tend to do like a deep dive. So I did a deep dive here. Um, and so this movie is by one of the Farrelly brothers who are known for pretty raunchy comedies, right? Like something about Mary and Dumb and Dumber, right? Yeah. Kingpin. Kingpin. And they've been around for a while. They're very uh, successful and famous. And they're actually known, which I didn't know, um, for being um, very proactive about putting people with disabilities, which in all of these entertainment articles is called PWD, um, in their movies. So they've been um, applauded for doing that as a, a really a, a, as an outlier. So first of all, that's important. And then second of all, like this is one of the Farrelly brothers, Bobby Farrelly, I think's first venture by himself. And this movie Champions is based on a Spanish movie um, with the same themes. So what I thought about this after sort of understanding that backdrop, because actually I was looking for the articles that were going to talk about Abby's like broad criticism of sometimes that these movies and TV shows can fall into, like the magical disabled person. Um, But I found in watching the movie that the way that they, well, first of all, they hired actors with disabilities to be people with disabilities in a movie, which is rare. And actually that's a development for them because in their earlier movies, they do have people with disabilities as supporting actors in all of their movies, but they also have actors portraying people with disabilities where in this movie, all of the people with disabilities are disabled actors. Right. They also have like a lot of production assistants and people on the crew with disabilities too, which I think is also unusual in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, unusual in general, I would say. Um, But I thought that this idea that they're actors in a movie and they're playing um, adults with disabilities and you're learning about them to the extent that it's relevant, right? right? So not because we should learn about them. Right. So we learn about them because the coach is critiqued for not knowing about his players when he gets kicked off the team. He doesn't know anything about like the backstory of his players. So that's a criticism. So when um, Cheech and Chong, I think Cheech from Cheech and Chong is the pastor. um, I told you to deep dive. He tells the coach, Woody Harrelson, like, oh, let me tell you about these 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 players. I give you a little story about them, like what their deal is. Like he kind of talks about them like, oh, this is where they live and this is what they like. And this is some of their idiosyncrasies. He doesn't say this is Johnny and this is his disability. 
And right. this is what he needs to access basketball. He does like none of that. So I I thought that I actually liked that part of the movie where they just kind of like, it was informative to the extent that it moved, moved the plot forward, right? Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts too. It's like a, it's a, a Hollywood movie. Yeah. And I think it's important to think too, that, that um, it's a process, right? So historically people with disabilities either were ignored or scapegoated or mascotted in film, right? And it's not like the film industry is going to change overnight and it's going to be a healthy, comprehensive, like full person um, shown in every film at all times. So this is part of that, I think, evolution where, you know, it still has kind of a clunky storyline, but that's, Okay, and it's really built for the masses, right? It's not like a documentary. It's a big movie you'd go see in a movie theater with popcorn and pay 12 bucks for. Um, and you might take your kids. And so for many, many people, that level of like authentic um, explanation and communication about people with disabilities might be new and might be trendsetting, right? And that's, I think, important to recognize. It is what it is. And they do do a nice job with all of those pieces in a way that seems a little different than what I've seen in movies, frankly. I'm going back to like, think about like Rain Man, Children of a Lesser God, right? Like when you think about the movies that maybe our generation grew up with, they really were um, othering in lots of ways. Um, and he's not doing that in, in the same way. If anybody's getting othered, it's uh, Woody Harrelson because he's kind of an asshole. Um, the Farrelly brothers have been um, recognized by many um, disability advocacy groups for their willingness to um, employ actors with disabilities. And I used to be on the board um, of directors of a, um, a health and service agency in the Boston area, and we recognized them as well. Um, and and they came to our gala and really they are so committed um, to employing people with disabilities. So they're from a small town in Rhode Island, so close to Massachusetts. And they had some kids in the neighborhood with intellectual disabilities who became their friends, right? This is like what our life mission around inclusive education and staying in your community is all about. And we want these outcomes, right? And because of that, you know, they are now in the position where they can make a social change because of that experience that they had when they were growing up. And so we talk about like, not only does the inclusive movement benefit people with disabilities, but we also want it to benefit the neighbors and the classmates. So then they make the next generation better and stronger and more inclusive. And that's really the example um, playing out in real life. Yeah. And we read some different reviews for this. And I think you have to listen to the community, right? So if the disability rights community is um, reporting that this movie feels okay to them and is um, re responsive to their feedback and things like that, then I think then that's good enough, right? That is the, the reality. And there are some non-disabled uh, movie critics who have written critical reviews of this movie. And somehow those critical reviews feel flawed in a very interesting way. They feel very artificial and kind of divorced from the, the reality of, of the portrayal. Um, and I just think that's really, really interesting that like the movie industry hasn't even caught up to some of, of itself. Um, and that's really kind of wild. So I, I think that um, if, you, if you're interested in this movie, it has a lot of positives, 
And, you know, one of the positives certainly is, is that the characters are allowed to be like adult, sexual, funny, um, uh, ironic, you know, all of the things that young adults are um, and have interests and things and have things go wrong and have things work out right. And that's like very nice to see. I will say one of the things that kind of irks me and of course, Angela, now that you compared this movie to some of the other sports movies, I'm I might be rethinking my my criticism, but the love story between Woody Harrelson and I forget the actress's name kind of irked me. I felt like it took away a little bit from the overall um, storyline. And I felt the same way when I watched the movie, The Peanut Butter Falcon, when Dakota Fanning and Shia LaBeouf had this like romantic interest that I felt like wasn't necessary in the movie. But now that you're comparing it to the movies like Hoosiers and Mighty Ducks and some of the other feel-good sports movies, they all also had a coach that fell in love and saved by a woman and blah, blah, blah also. And so I think falls into the formula of this type of movie. 100%. Yeah, I, it didn't really bother me. I mean, in part because I enjoyed the the comedic aspects of the relationship, but I thought two things about like the adults that were interacting on the regular with um, young adults with disabilities, it wasn't turned into a bunch of martyrs, which I thought was also really important. Like it was just sort of how it is. Right. And then you got to see sort of the reflection of how important it it is to them for their own reasons, not just because they're related to somebody with disabilities. The other thing I thought was really important was that Look at all the teams that they played. Just the sheer number of young adults with a variety of disabilities that were on the, in the movie, like on the regular, was so great, I thought. Well, have you watched the International Special Olympics? Um, they're on ESPN and like they're hosted like worldwide and they're really outstanding. Um, and so, you know, these teams are genuine teams. They're the same as if someone was doing a, a story about, you know, the NBA basketball teams. And what's also interesting is that Special Olympics is alive and well in school systems. And so there's a connection to unified sports and there's a connection after unified sports to the Special Olympics sports teams that, you know, many of our athletes, once they age out of the education system, can find really great partnership, friendship, and sportsmanship through the Special Olympics as adults. And so I hope it highlights opportunities that are out there for young adults with disabilities to get involved in athletics at some point. Yeah. And I, there are just a couple of things that are just so awesome, like just like little things. We didn't have to know what everybody's disability was. Like we didn't have to put in like a label on everybody's disability. The team environment that was established by those young adults acting that they had a team environment and a relationship, I thought was like so completely authentic. I just really loved the movie. And I really like Woody Harrelson too, even though he's kind of like an anti-vaxxer or whatever. But I like him a lot. I think he's a good actor. He has his own basketball movie, White Man Can't Jump. So 
Yeah, he does. I mean, I just like highly, 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 highly recommend it. It was like a very good two hours, I thought. Yeah, and I did look up the the woman who plays the girlfriend. So her name's Caitlin Olson. She's not related to the Olson. Correct. Twins. She's not the other other Olson person. Correct. And, um, yeah, her storyline doesn't totally make sense all the way through, and I completely hear you on that. But again, welcome to big time movies. There's like tropes minimalizing lots of different categories of people, and you know, at least folks with disabilities get to like make the money from the residuals for a big movie, right? Like welcome aboard. Um, and so I did think that was great. And then maybe one of the reasons we're responding to this movie so well is because the young adults who are acting are good actors. Yeah. It's another magical thinking thing that we think they're just being themselves as disabled people, but they're acting and they are clearly acting at it. Right. So that's important. Yeah, I saw some interviews with them too. And they're not they are not the people they portray in the movie. Yeah. I know I keep talking about the Peter the Peanut Butter Falcon because I love that movie too. But I could not believe that like Shia LaBeouf won or was nominated for things in the star. I don't even know the actor's name. I probably should since I promote the movie so much. The man with Down syndrome, he didn't get nominated and like his acting was outstanding. Like there's one scene where he's like drunk in front of a fire. And I was like, this is the best acting I've seen in a really long time. So I agree with you. I think that that the acting was really good and they played off each other well. And, um, you know, they really stayed in character. And I, I just thought it was really, it was great. And some of the characters were just so funny and I brought my son to see the movie. So he's eight. And other than the first five minutes, which started out as a sex scene, which I didn't realize and was like, Oh boy, I wonder what kind of movie I'm taking my son to. The rest of the movie was totally appropriate, other than maybe some of the swears, which he also found really funny, but not as bad as the Bad News Bears, which is full of swears, which I didn't know. And um, he just thought it was great and he, because he does interact with people with disabilities a lot. He really enjoyed all the characters and he was like, how funny was this guy? And this person was really cool too. And so I I really liked that he was able to see the range Um of actors that were involved in the movie. There's a lot of places where they could have been like a lot more trite than, and they didn't do it. So they could have like made the restaurant owner, like be really sorry about being a fucking asshole, but instead they just like shook him down for money, which is like, I think more realistic actually. They did try to focus on some of the issues that families face. For example, one of the teammates potentially moving out of their family home and how that is emotionally for the caregivers and then the young man himself and some of the emotions he goes through and his feeling of like, I'm abandoning my family if I leave them. Yeah. I mean, we're just a bunch of suckers for a movie like this, but I do think that a lot of people would really, really like this movie. And I think it did really well. I mean, it got, it was pretty high on Rotten Tomatoes and it's streaming now. So, and it has a draw with Woody Harrelson. It's a movie business. So the answer is to buy tickets or rent Correct. it. Correct. Right? Like the the um action Correct. to um spend a little money and 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 signal the streaming platforms and other um financial mechanisms that there's a market for well-made, thoughtful movies where people with disabilities have agency over their own lives. Um and then you get more of them. 
right? And you get a bigger marketplace for those actors to um, to hone their craft. I'm still thinking back to the Coda movie and, um, you know, the dad, the, the actor who is the dad, he won, I think, an Academy Award. And that was like a really big deal. And until you understand that he's had like a 30-year career in deaf theater and is already a very, very well-regarded actor, it's just the hearing world knows nothing about that. Right. And so it's like so fascinating to see these kind of worlds collide. And, you know, we're not uh, we're not the most informed people on the planet, turns out. <laughs> we're not <laughs> as much as we think. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think it was a great movie. And, and you know, if people need an um, opportunity, I would say it's appropriate for middle school and up or upper elementary and up. Easily. Apparently it's uh, appropriate for eight years old and up. Yeah. I mean, there's a little there's a little what have you in the in the very first five minutes, but you can. I mean, they. I, mean, I, I think that'll either go over their head or they've seen it. And let me just say this. Rocco has heard far worse come out of my mouth on the phone while Rob. <laughs> yes, he has. <laughs> that is true. And he finds it to be hysterical. He thinks it's so funny. Yeah, I'm always like, I always like open with like, what the fuck is going on? And Robin's like, so we're in the car. We're in the car. Say hi. And then I just hear Rocco like giggling. But I do think Um, anybody who's um, thinking about these issues, who works in schools, who's parent of a kid in schools, if you're interested in how schools operate, this does show the young adult part of the lifespan. And that's not often seen. And I love when they say kind of like, you know, this person's independent at their job. This person needs more supports and works in a supported structure and just kind of articulating, not like that it's a weakness, but that some people need more support versus other in some areas, in different areas. And that's how we talk about it all the time in in our work. But um, it's neat to see it in like real life, right? Yeah. So I think really good. So I loved your point, Abby, about making sure that people put the money where their um, mouth is and really supporting the causes that they believe in. And so, you know, I I do think it's important if this is something that you believe in, like watch the movie, engage in the press in the movie, do some social media about the movie and try to look for other opportunities where we can support the actors and actresses out there that are trying to make a living and want more parts um, and want more opportunities um, in in the future. So you guys, next week is going to be our last recording for season three. And I think we've done like 25 episodes of, of season three, which is, is I think great. Um, next week, we're going to just kind of wrap up about what's going on um, in our lives um, and sort of how we're ending our years and preview some things we're thinking about for season four. As always, we're open to feedback and anything that you guys want us to focus, change, you know, think about for the next season. We're excited to do that. And it's always possible that we'll pop up um, in the summer because there were some hot topics going on. I think we did. Yeah. I also want to ask, we got one review on iTunes saying that the, the music on the podcast was terrible. I mean, we've had 26,000 downloads and we've had one review about the music that was negative. And both Abby and Angela are asking me if we should change the music. Now we've had three seasons, probably like a hundred episodes so far and one feedback about the music. 
is that enough that we should change the music, folks, listeners? I need some I need some feedback about that. I might even put up a poll on Instagram. Um, I'm happy to do it for season four, but I don't want to do it if it's like one person who doesn't like the intro and outro. Isn't that a weird word? Outro music. So what do you guys think? I think that comment got under her skin, Ange. And yeah, I do too. I think um I think that um I would vote for a change in music just just to have a change. But but that but yes. I'm wondering like she does feel, not like that at all. Weird wrong answer. Like, no, no, I don't mind. I'm totally open to it. I totally am. No, no, I don't mind. I'm just wondering in terms of like consistency and flow. It's Although like soap operas change their intro every couple seasons. Really? Yeah. yeah, I think I, to me, listen, I love the intro very, very much, but because the intro is so jammed packed with information, which I still think we want to keep there because we we still get a lot of new listeners. I mean, that first episode is the most listened to episode and it's constantly climbing every week. Someone listens to it. So it's important um, to have the content of the intro. I just think that dun, 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 <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It just, I think that it, that we could, you know, switch it up a little. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. You all heard right. it. First. Season four yeah. might have a new um, musical uh, background. Oh boy. All right, folks. Um, listen, thank you for listening. As always engage with us on social media because we like that. And um, we will be back next week for our last episode of season three. Yay. Yay. Good night. Take care, guys. Good night. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you have any questions, you can reach us at ASTAL podcast at gmail.com.